As we started this morning, we're looking at verses 25 through 34 at the very end of Matthew chapter 6. And as we start the message, I want to illustrate two ends of the spectrum when it comes to material possessions. One end of the spectrum is the hoarder. We even have TV programs about people who struggle with this problem. They can't seem to get enough, and then they don't want to get rid of anything that they have collected. So that's one end of the spectrum. Lots and lots of material things that are stored up. The other side of the world is the person and the group of people around the world, most of the world, who have nothing. Experts say here's what it would take to transform the average American home into the typical dwelling for the majority of the world's inhabitants. We'd have to begin by coming into this imaginary American family and stripping their house of all of its furniture. Everything goes except for a few blankets, a kitchen table, and a wooden chair. So out goes the TVs, the lamps, the tables, the chairs, the beds. When it comes to clothing, everyone gets to keep their oldest suit or dress and one shirt or blouse. The head of the family gets to keep a pair of shoes. The rest of the family, the wife and kids, do not. Go to the kitchen. All the appliances have to come out. The cabinets would be emptied. All they can have is a box of matches, a bag of flour, some sugar and salt. We'd have to pull some moldy potatoes out of the garbage bag because that's going to be supper for the night, along with some onions and dried beans. Everything else goes. Meat, fresh vegetables, canned goods, crackers, cookies, candy, Not only do we have to strip all that out of the house, but we have to go in the bathroom and disconnect all the electricity and turn off the running water. Then we have to take away the house itself. Everybody has to live in a tool shed. Communication goes out the door. No newspapers, magazines, books, internet. It's all gone. And then government services would also be removed. There would be no mail delivery. There'd be no fire department. There is a school, but it's three miles away from the house. And it's only two classrooms. And there are no hospitals close by. The closest is ten miles away. And it's staffed only by a midwife. And it can be reached by a bicycle if the family has a bicycle. And then finally, the family can only have a cash stockpile of five dollars in change. Probably none of us is a hoarder, even though we may have seen the cable TV programs or we know somebody who's a hoarder or even an extreme hoarder. But on the flip side, we're probably all thankful that we're not like the majority of the world's inhabitants when it comes to possessions. We in America have been truly blessed by God. But I want you to understand it's not because we're a Christian nation, because we're not. Not anymore. It's just because God is so good 
as to his nature. That's just how he is. And yet, we do struggle, all of us do, at one time or another with worry. Right? We struggle with worry about material things, about what we have and what we don't have. We want to trust God for everything, but it's hard sometimes, like when there's more month at the end of the money, or when we get laid off of our job, or when we're just sure that that credit card balance is way too high, or it seems like we just paid off that utility bill and there it is in the mail again. Today, here in this passage, the Lord Jesus deals with worry in the Sermon on the Mount. And He stresses to us that our Father in Heaven is a kind and loving Father who gives us what we need, who amply provides for His children. And I want us to see today four characteristics of the Father that I believe will engender deeper trust on our part and will enable us to say no to worry. So we want to begin by talking about God as a giving Father. Look at verse 25 with me. It says, For this reason, Jesus is speaking, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. Five times in this text, Jesus refers to being anxious or worried. And the worry has to do with eating, drinking, and having clothes to wear. That's what most of the world struggles with. And especially at that time in history in the Middle East. Those were real concerns. The word translated anxious or translated worried literally means to be pulled in two directions. Jesus already told us when he talked about materialism, you can't have two masters, God and money. Well, Jesus is now saying you can't be pulled in two directions. You can't trust in God and at the same time worry about material things. To be overly preoccupied and upset about things. So worry then is being fixated on what could be rather than what is. And we all struggle with that. It seems like the obstacles in our minds, real or not, Uh, end up moving us in the wrong direction too many times. The direction of worry and concern instead of the direction of trusting God's goodness. Many people in our world today struggle with just survival, with starvation. And it's all because of sin in the world. 
that's been here ever since the time of Adam and Eve. Even in our affluent country of the United States of America, we have cities right now that are struggling with basics. I'll give you one illustration. You've probably read about it in the newspapers or heard about it. Flint, Michigan. A water crisis. It's a bankrupt city. They've been trying to save money, but uh, it hasn't gone well. They... uh, declared a federal state of emergency after as many as 8,000 children in the city of Flint came down with lead poisoning because of the water system. Even before the lead crisis, Flint was really struggling. 40% of their people live in poverty. In April of 2014, the city began using water from the Flint River because they couldn't afford to buy water from the city of Detroit, of all places. And then the city failed to treat the water properly. The state failed to properly test it. Lead from the city's pipes began to leach into the drinking water. And now thousands of children are affected. 1 Peter 5.7 says to each of us personally, cast all your care upon Him, our giving Father, because He cares for you. That's the nature of God. He cares. The world takes a different approach. The world takes the approach of hoping they can laugh it off. Some of you older people will remember this little uh, clip from a song by Bobby McFerrin a long, long time ago. Simple, right? Don't worry, be happy. It doesn't work that way. God wants us to to know this truth. Don't worry, trust me. Don't worry, trust that I will take care of you. And He will. Trust your Heavenly Father. Let's think of what's wrong with worry, both from a practical and a theological side. First of all, from a practical side, the text we just read makes it very clear. You can't change anything about your life as far as your height or your length of days. You can't change any of that just by worrying. You can't make yourself bigger or stronger just by worrying. It doesn't work like that. In fact, when it comes to worry, we harm ourselves in many ways. Someone once said, and I agree, a day of worry is more exhausting than a a week of work. Theologically, when we worry, we're actually calling God a liar. Because God has already said, I will take care of you. I'll meet your every need. So when we worry about our needs, we're calling God a liar. We're arguing with the truthfulness of a passage like Philippians 4. Verses 6 and 7, which says, Be anxious or worried for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, we have a giving Father. He gives to the birds. He dresses the flowers of the field in rare beauty. And Jesus says, you are worth way more to Him. 
Speaking of much more, that's the second characteristic about God we want to talk about this morning. That we have a much more kind of Father. Not only is He a giving Father, but He's a much more giving kind of Father. Verse 30 says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What will we eat, or what shall we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. We don't know what kind of flowers Jesus is talking about here exactly. Some texts refer to them as lilies. So we may think of wild lilies in the field. Some people say these must be irises. Others think they're gladiolas. It doesn't matter. The point is they're alive today and tomorrow they're dead. The point is they're alive today and the next day they get gathered up with a rake and thrown into a clay furnace which is part of the geography and makeup of those ancient cultures. So the point is they live briefly, even though they're gorgeously arrayed. And God cares much more about you than about a beautiful flower that lasts for a day or two and dies. Notice, please, that Jesus has been talking about food and fitness, uh, our height, our strength, and about fashion. But there are two really important words that also start with the letter F that we need to emphasize. Verse 30, the word faith. And then also in verses 26 and verse 32, the word father. Faith and father. And the point of the text is they go together. If I put my faith in my father, who's a much more giving kind of father, then everything's going to be okay. If we're going to conquer worry, faith and the Father must go together. Think just for a minute about today and tomorrow, the lifespan of a lot of earth's plants. If we will, we'll realize that faith in our Father and His provision must be exercised one day at a time. Someone put it this way, and I agree, live your days in the order they appear on the calendar. (laughs) In other words, I can't live next Tuesday already. I can't live April 1st now. It's on the calendar. It'll come around eventually. I have to live today. One day at a time. If I do that, if I live one day at a time, then I'm going to be able to properly align myself with a beautiful statement that's on the back of your notes. The statement that says, I will be thankful that I have a Father who's not only aware of all that I need, but He delights to provide all that I need. Please remember that. The next time you're tempted to worry about what you have or don't have, remember that God delights in providing all that you need. He doesn't grudgingly do it. He's not in heaven with his arms folded saying, Oh, I guess I will. He loves to provide for us. That's his nature. Worry is the exact opposite of that kind of faith. And it's also the enemy of a thankful spirit. 
Worry also does damage to our profession of faith. But not only that, it damages some, for some of us, damages our bodies. Dr. James Barton writes, Worry can affect the workings of all of our internal organs. It is estimated, he says, that one-fourth of all medical patients have no organic disease, but their ailments are directly connected to worry and stress. One-fourth of all medical patients. Some translations say, take no thought for tomorrow. Take no thought for what you will eat or drink or wear. And unfortunately, some people have taken that King James Version statement, take no thought for, which really means don't worry about or don't be anxious about. And they've said what that means is you can just uh, walk through life without even thinking at all about any of those things. You don't have to work. You don't have to do anything. God will provide. But that's not what the text means. The Bible is very clear that if you don't work, if you're a lazy person, you shouldn't really have anything given to you. Second Thessalonians 3, verses 10 and 11 says, Paul is writing, When we were with you, we used to give you this order. If a man will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some among you that are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. So Jesus is not teaching, just sit back, don't worry, be happy, relax. Don't do anything, God will do it all. He's simply saying, God will meet every need you have, and then He'll give you the strength to work and provide for your family. Put food on the shelves. So in other words, the food that Jesus provides, that God provides this much more Father, doesn't just fall out of the sky. We earn a living, we go to the grocery store, and we buy the food. But God gives us the strength, doesn't He, to work, to do just that. So rather than depending solely on my job, or expecting the government to take care of me, I realize and trust confidently that God will take care of me. But I also realize that my job is not my source of income. God, who is my much more Father, is my source of income. If I don't believe that, then I can get very worried about everything related to my paycheck, like my federal and state taxes that are due here in a little over a month. I just want you to know, by the way, that you have three extra days this year. Uh, April 18th instead of the 15th is when you have to pay your taxes this year. You want to know why? It's because of a local holiday in Washington, D.C., a holiday called the Emancipation Day. It celebrates when Abraham Lincoln wrote the Emancipation Proclamation freeing all the slaves, April 15, 1862. It's a local holiday, not a federal holiday, but it means you get three extra days to work on paying your taxes. But I want you to know this morning you'll get much more from God. Not dollars and cents, but the trust of a Father who cares about you. If I uh, don't believe that, then I'm going to end up worrying and worrying and worrying. 
Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. All your needs. So you get much more from God than your job could give or the government could give. Speaking of the government, it doesn't matter in this election year who's in the office of President of the United States. God is still the righteous King of the universe. And He's my Father if I've trusted Jesus as my personal Savior. And He wants me to enjoy the God life. And He throws in the good life as well. That's exciting. Let's talk about this righteous King who is our Father. Verse 33, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, that's a wonderful verse of Scripture to memorize. How many of you already have committed it to memory? Matthew 6.33, a few. It's a great verse to memorize, but it's even better to live it out daily. What it means, practically speaking, is that Jesus wants me to make the will of God my first priority. We talked earlier about faith and Father. Well, there's another key word here in this verse, the word first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Remember Jesus, uh, when He gave us that model prayer earlier in the Sermon on the Mount? Part of the request that He has us make in that model prayer, that pattern for prayer, is that God's kingdom would come and His will be done. But the text goes on to say, on earth as it is where? In heaven. Let me ask you a question this morning. How is God's will done in heaven? I'll give you the answer. Perfectly. His will is done perfectly in heaven. So the more we do the will of God here on earth, the more we're bringing to pass that prayer request. That His kingdom and His will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. I was telling Pastor Jeff the other day, when we met for prayer about a verse, one of the very first verses I ever memorized. Uh, my home church when I was a kid had a program called the Bible Memory Association. And you got these little booklets and uh, teenagers, and I was a teenager then, memorized 13 verses a week for three months. And if you uh, did them perfectly, uh, you got to get uh, books sent to you in the mail from the home office in St. Louis, Missouri. And quite a few of my books in my library came from those days. I still have them. But the verse that I memorized, and I still love to repeat it, is Daniel 4.35. These are the words of a man who was at one point in time the most evil king on planet Earth. He really existed. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. He was king of Babylon. He was pretty proud of himself. He thought that he could run the world all on his own. God said, no, I run the world. This is my universe. So God caused him to be an, like an animal for seven years. He crawled around on the ground, ate grass. His fingernails grew real long. He had hair all over his body like a beast. 
But finally, after seven years, he came to his senses. And he realized, God really is in charge, not me. And here's what he says in Daniel 4.35. Speaking of God, Nebuchadnezzar says, And he doeth his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? In other words, we don't get to tell God what to do. We don't get to tell God, Hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. And I want it done right now. That's not the way it works. God is a righteous king. He's in control. And we need to seek His kingdom and His righteousness. When Jesus refers to righteousness here, He's not talking about self-righteousness. He's not talking about me doing a bunch of good works. He's talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ Himself that is given to me as a gift when I trust Him as my Savior. The Apostle Paul refers to that in the book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. He says, this is what I want. I want God's righteousness. He says, I want to be found in Him, not having my own righteousness derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And what I want you to see this morning is, if that is my desire, God's righteousness lived out in my life, If that's my desire, then Jesus promises, and He will follow through with it, that all the things that people seek, the basics, food, clothing, shelter, drink, all of that will be added to me. I need to remember that I'm more valuable to God than any of His creatures. That's what this text is all about. He talks about the grass of the field and about the birds of the air. When I think about those birds, I think about two passages of Scripture that go together. One of them in Matthew, one of them in Luke, but they teach the same thing. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. So we've got two, two sparrows selling for a penny. Luke chapter 12, verse 6 then says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Two for one penny, five for two pennies. There's an extra bird thrown in, right? Does Jesus care about that extra no-account bird that got tossed into the deal? Yeah, the text goes on to say, Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. He remembers sparrow number five. He remembers all the sparrows. He takes care of the sparrows. And more importantly, he remembers you. He remembers me. He knows our names. He knows everything about us. He knows the things that we worry about. He cares. He provides. But I cannot let life's pressures and busyness become an excessive distraction to that pursuit of God's will and His righteousness. There's a biblical character that got distracted. Her name is Martha. She had a sister named Mary, a brother named Lazarus. Jesus came to visit at their house one day, and Martha was in the kitchen, busy, 
making a meal for them to eat. And the text in Luke chapter 10 says she was distracted by meal preparation. And so she came in and she let the Lord know that she was not one bit happy that her sister wasn't helping her. And she had to do everything. And Jesus said to her in Luke 10, verse 40, You are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary. Really, only one, Jesus said. And Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. The most important thing we can pursue is God's kingdom and righteousness. His will being done in our lives and in our world. Life is like a dollar bill. We can waste it or we can invest it. Earlier in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about investing. Investing finances. Laying up treasure in heaven instead of down here on earth. If we're going to be a hoarder, let's be an extreme hoarder in heaven. Earlier I highlighted those words faith and Father. Here in verse 33, it's that word first. It's a priority kind of word. And Mary was investing in the most important priority, that of knowing Jesus better. It's not that Martha didn't want to know Jesus, but the focus of the text is on Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to His every word. To seek here in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God, means to actively pursue, to go after as a life goal. If we understand God's provision and His power, coupled with His perfect love, that's going to be the best insurance against worry that there could be. You know, there are all kinds of insurances out there today. I read the other day on the internet about insurance, listen carefully, for alien abductions. (laughs) People have bought $10 million worth of insurance in the United States alone in the event of alien abductions. One little problem is you have to be able to prove that you were abducted by an alien in order to collect. You don't need to be concerned about ensuring what may or may not happen tomorrow or a year from now or ten years from now. There's nothing wrong, by the way, with having insurance. Nothing wrong with providing for my family when I die. But even better insurance coverage is knowing that my father has tomorrow covered already. That's the last thing I want us to talk about today, and that is that I have a tomorrow will be okay, Father. Look at verse 34. So do not be anxious, worried, for tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think most of us would immediately say uh, about that last statement, Amen. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. How many of you have recently had some trouble in your life of some kind? Okay, I have good news for you today. Tomorrow is going to have some more trouble. (laughs) That's what the text says. 
some some way or other, something's going to go wrong. Car's not going to start. You know, bird's going to fly into a window, break it. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but we knew don't we do know who's in charge of tomorrow. Amen. God is in charge. God will lovingly grant us our appointed days, however many that is. We don't need to worry ahead of time about that. So if you had any kind of trouble today, cheer up. Tomorrow we'll have some more. How long is it going to be like that anyway? For as long as you live. The Bible says in Psalm 90 that our lifespan is 70 years, or if by reason of strength you get 80 years, most of the time they are days filled with trouble. But verse 12 of Psalm 90 says, here's what should come out of that. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. So as we go along one day at a time, we ought to be gaining some wisdom about how to deal with life's problems. And part of that wise thinking is God is in control. He's the sovereign God of the universe. He's in control. Too many people, including professing Christians, are worried literally to death in some cases. I really believe that people today are more afraid, more insecure, and feel more alone than probably at any, any time in history. We hear more and more about suicides and more and more about people wanting to hide away all alone. Some of you remember Richard Simmons? <laughs> kind of a strange fellow. Used to have an exercise program on television. I was just reading an article about him that he uh, has. Uh, he has a beautiful Hollywood estate, but he is uh, locked in his Hollywood estate with a caretaker. He's 69 years old now, and uh, no one goes in or out. He's just by himself with this caretaker, all alone. His lifelong best friend went to see him and he told him, you need to leave. He got a restraining order against his friend. He said, I want to be alone. Those who have lived a little longer than most of us can tell us that worry is truly a waste of time. Author Samuel Clemens, who's better known as Mark Twain, once wrote, I'm an old man and have known a great many troubles but most of them never happened. And that's how worry is. We worry over things that don't even happen. We just think they're going to happen. But if I truly believe in and have experienced even a bit of God's sufficiency, I know that His promise that tomorrow will be okay is something that I can hold on to. It's a sure thing for me. The truth is, and I can attest to it personally, He's never failed me yet. And I'm pretty confident in saying there's not one person in this room this morning who could say God failed me. No, He didn't. Nor will He ever fail you. Ever. 
I heard recently about a missionary who was getting ready to uh, embark and go to a foreign field. As he was getting on the ship, going up the gangway, a friend of his who was a very wealthy man came to him and slipped an envelope into his hand that was sealed. He said, friend, you take this envelope And if at any time while you're overseas, you come to the place where you've exhausted every other possibility, or you don't know where to turn, and you have a need that you can't find met anywhere else, then open the envelope. Well, the missionary took the envelope and thanked his friend, put it in his pocket, went up the gangplank, and served 20 years on the field. When he came back to that same port and came down the gangplank, His wealthy friend was standing there. He gave the envelope back to him, still sealed, still unopened. And he said this, Never did I come to a place where I didn't know where to turn or what to do, ever. The testimony of every true Christian who's seeking to trust God, trust the Father, instead of worrying, is... I've never come to a place where I didn't know what to do or where to turn. How can we come to that place? Because we have a God who does know what to do and where to turn. And He will help us through every situation. Doesn't that jumpstart your joy? To know that, that God will help us in every situation like that? We need to do three things this morning. Number one, we need to recognize that worry is sin. It is. The Bible tells us that uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound or healthy mind. We need to recognize that worry is sin, and we need to confess it and claim His forgiveness. Secondly, we need to reevaluate our priorities. We need to focus on God's rule and count on Him to be in total control today and tomorrow. So recognize worry is sin, reevaluate our priorities, and then rethink who God is. He's the sovereign God of the universe, and He's totally in control. But He's also the author of good cheer. I love that about God. He gives us, besides all of those material blessings, everything we need to live this life. Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. And there's one more verse with a, a very similar theme. Romans 8 verse 32 He who did not spare His own Son, that's what Easter is all about, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? All things. I want to do two things as we close this morning. I want to pray for you if you've been struggling with worry. And I want to start by uh, asking you to do something kind of brave. And that is, if you've been worrying, or maybe right today you're worrying about something, you recognize now as a result of study of this passage that that's 
sin. I want to invite you to stand. By standing, say, I've been worrying, but I'm confessing it right now. You don't have to tell me what you're worried about. God knows what it is. You talk to Him about it. But by standing, you're saying, Bill, I want you to pray for me. Because I want to uh, really focus on who God is and how He can give me victory over worry. So I don't have to worry tomorrow and the next day. So if you've been worrying about something, whatever it is, you know what it is, God knows what it is, I want to invite you to stand right now and I want to pray for you. Thank you, Pat. Worry is a a common occurrence with many. It's a tough thing. But God will give us the victory. So I invite you to bow and pray and confess it to Him and claim His forgiveness and I'll pray for you right now. Father, You know our hearts. You know what we've been worrying about. We know now how devastating worry can be if it goes on and on and on. So we confess it as a lack of trust in You. We confess it as sin. And we claim Your forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for these who are standing, indicating... Yes, I've been worrying. I pray that tomorrow, when tomorrow comes, if tomorrow comes, they'll be able to go through the day without worry by trusting in You. But while we still have most of today left, help us to live in a trusting way because You're that kind of Father. You give, You give much more. You're the righteous king of the universe, totally in control of everything. And you've made it clear to us tomorrow will be okay. I am in charge. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite everyone to stand, and we're going to sing a little chorus this morning. This particular chorus was written in the, in the Scottish culture, but uh, this was Gloria's dad's favorite chorus of all time. He would teach it everywhere he would go and he sang it often and uh, I want to teach it to you this morning. So it goes like this. Excuse me. Cheer up, ye saints of God, there's nothing to worry about, nothing to make you feel afraid, nothing to make you doubt. Remember, Jesus never fails, so why not trust Him and shout? You'll be sorry you worried at all tomorrow morning. Okay? Try it with me, will you? Cheer up, ye saints of God, there's nothing to worry about. Nothing to make you feel afraid, nothing to make you doubt. Remember, Jesus never fails, so why not trust Him and shout? You'll be sorry you worried at all tomorrow morning. We're going to sing it one more time, and then you're dismissed. Okay? And remember, go ahead. I told you not to do it, but you can do it. Gloria's <laughs> dad, he, he loved to do this. He used to sing it the way the Scottish would do it. Okay? So I'll, I'll do that while you sing it in English, okay? Uh, it's still English, but it just sounds a little different. Here we go. Cheer up, ye saints of God, there's nothing to worry about. 
Nothing to make you feel afraid, nothing to make you doubt. Remember, Jesus never fails, so why not trust him and shoot? You'll be sorry you worried at all tomorrow morning. All right. Thank you for being here this morning. God bless you.